nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Please be seated. Let me ask you a question and like for you to be as candid with me as you possibly can. Are you tired of reading about the judgment on Israel? You know, those last 12 books of the Old Testament pronounce a judgment and a time period in which that judgment is going to happen. And as we look back on it some 4,000 years in the rearview mirror or more, we look and say, kind of after book eight or nine, all right, God, I, I've got what you're trying to say. That's kind of the attitude that the Israelites are having already, isn't it? We know what you're saying, God. We understand punishment's coming. You know, in all that they understood, they never changed. We're going to pick up in Zephaniah tonight. We've got three more books, I think, after this one. We'll be done with the, the Old Testament. And I hope you have gotten a sheet like this. If not, there are some back there on that table, and you're more than welcome to all of those that you want. We've been looking at that scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. The bloodline of Jesus the Christ... The 1.2-ish gallons of blood within the human body that will redeem the entirety of mankind. And we're seeing Israel, those who were chosen to bring this Savior into the world, sort of look at God and say, we've got this. We can handle it. And, and as you and I look through these, these pages of inspiration, what we find out is they can't handle it. Because they, they tend to make the same decisions you and I make. And, and sometimes it's not great. Zephaniah, the key words are divine wrath and judgment. Don't miss the word divine. That is, given by God and executed by God for God's specific purpose. The key verses are, key, are chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, and you and I are going to study verses 14 through 18 this evening. The key phrase, the day of the Lord occurs seven times in this short book. Now, there needs to be something said about the day of the Lord or even if we were to modernize it just slightly to say the Lord's day in the Old Testament is going to be much different from the Lord's day toward the end of the Gospels and into Acts. This day of the Lord is looked at with some fear and some trepidation. This day of the Lord is looked at as that day of wrath. But when you and I get to the end of the, uh, the gospel accounts, and when we begin into the historical book known as Acts, we see people looking forward to the day of the Lord. 
And so the meaning of that particular phrase begins to change a little bit. The greatest chapter of this prophetic book is chapter 3. In this chapter, uh, we can see a definite judgment of God, also the restoration of His faithful. Now that's key. God's not going to destroy all of Israel, including those who are faithful to Him, and say, I'm just going to wipe you off the planet and start over. He still has to bring the Christ through there. There's still about 500 or so years until Jesus sets, I want to say sets foot on the earth, but as a baby, I don't think he set feet on the earth for a little bit of time until until he is born onto this earth. And so that bloodline still has to continue so that Jesus the Christ can come through it. He's going to restore those who are faithful. He assures them, God assures them that they will return to Jerusalem and they would not be afraid nor God would, would not leave them as we would say kind of hung out to dry trying to figure out how they're going to make things work. The book shows plainly God's wrath as just and pure. It's interesting to note that the book of Zephaniah begins with a woe and it ends with a singing. It begins with a, a sad note of what's going to happen, and it ends on a, on a happy note of how God's going to restore Israel. The plea of this book is to remember, remember the final, final judgment of God. The name Zephaniah means hid of the Lord. He was the great, great grandson of King Hezekiah. He's a young man when he's called to be a prophet, much like Jeremiah. He works around 630 B.C. He is very loyal. He's very zealous. You can imagine that as a younger prophet, can't you? Uh, He's going to expect to be able to speak for God and have everybody just listen and fall right into line. That works every time, doesn't it? No, but when we're younger, we think think it, it automatically should How many times, as a younger preacher, Michael, have you ever said to yourself, well, they know what to do? How many times have you looked at your child and said, well, they they know what to do? Yeah, we understand where he's at in his zealousness. The history of this book is in turmoil. Zephaniah preaches during the day of Josiah, who's one of the worst kings. He is from the bloodline of one of the best kings, and he's having to deal with the shenanigans of one of the worst kings. Some particular sins of Judah that are listed, idolatry, uh, wearing of foreign apparel, stop for a moment. Uh, That does not mean they found this kind of uh, cool shirt with some different type of writing on it. Perhaps it's Arabic writing or it's uh, Japanese writing or Chinese or something like that that would make us want to wear it because it's an unusual thing. When you talk about the idea of wearing foreign, foreign apparel, it's the same type of apparel that those who uh, worship idols would wear. And not only is it the same kind, it's the same style. Is that good enough to say? That it is, perhaps it's there, perhaps it's not. Could be missing, could be missing parts. Could be missing all sorts of things. It just doesn't fit into God's plan of modesty. Fraudulence and violence, corrupt authority. Imagine that. In God's justice, luxury, 1 verse 12 
does not deal with having some of the finer things of life. It's having some of the finer things of life to the expense of offering uh, sacrifice and uh, offerings unto God. Imagine if you said, you know, if we just cut out one check a Sunday, we could pay our light bill and never really, you know, miss a beat. You know, if you cut all four of them out, you could pay a lot more stuff. Here's, this is where they are. They're thinking if we could just do this, if we could skimp here or there, then we could, uh, we could live better. Failure to listen to God's law, and they did violence to God's law. That is, they used God's law as a weapon against especially those who were poor. The purpose of the punishment of Judah was twofold. One, it was to punish the sins of the nation. And two, it was to purge those sins out of the land. You guys got to get out of here. The, those who... Uh, live by and want to uh, continue down that lifestyle, God's going to have to purge those things out. What you and I will find out as we look through history is that Israel had an idolatry problem. And I think that idolatrous problem started in Exodus when they're in the, the nation of, of captivity of Egypt. Uh, they begin to see those things and they begin, those things begin to be normal for the 400 years that they're there. It's not until after the book of uh, Malachi, and really when they come back into the books of uh, Nehemiah, Esther, and Ezra, that, uh, th that this problem of idolatry has been settled. When they come back from Babylonian captivity, they don't really want any part of idols. God cured them of that. He fixed that problem. There might have other problems that they will, that they have to deal with. But I can tell you this, idolatry ain't going to be one of them. Turn, if you will, to Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. There's going to be a judgment here pronounced on Judah. And as we look back on it, we need to be able some, uh, probably 3,000, I guess, years ago, right about. There's some sort of principle that you and I need to take from it. Let's start reading in verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their, their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he maketh, maketh even a speedy riddance 
of all them that dwell in the land. That's a tough day. As we look what is steadily going to unfold on Israel, the nation, we look and we say that's going to be a tough day. And you know what? You'd be right to say that. It is going to be a tough day for them. And if you'll take the mirror image of that and look at the judgment and the final day for mankind. You'll see that for most, that's going to be a tough day. Notice how it begins. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near. How many times have men entered into pulpits like this only to say you'd better be ready because it is coming? I don't know when. I can't pinpoint where, but it, the, the day of the Lord is closer than it ever has been. We look at that reality, we understand that reality every single week. We look at that reality almost should be every single day as we're reading through God's Word. And we say, God didn't come, Jesus didn't come yesterday, so we're one day closer. He didn't come when the book of Thessalonica or Thessalonians was written, when the, the Thessalonians were standing up on the hill waiting for Jesus to come, but we're 2,000 years closer. How much more time is there? I'm not sure. But I can tell you, Jesus will say, it is near. And then there's this phrase at the end of 14 the mighty men shall weep bitterly. I like the phrase. Throughout the Old Testament, mighty men. I like that phrase because I kind of connect with that guy. I understand who God's speaking about. Sometimes we look at it and we think of um, strong men competitions. It has to be the strongest guys in Israel, right? If you're reading mighty men and thinking anything of their physical strength, you've missed the point. If we were to have an opportunity to sort of uh, revamp the King James Version in a few places, we'd take mighty men out and we would put special forces right in there. These are the guys who have been trained. These are the guys who protect the king. These are the guys who go on missions at night. These are the guys who you may not know about. These are the guys. These are the guys that the, the other guys whisper about when he walks down the road and says, there he goes. That's a bad guy right there. And this one who has seen so much battle and so much heartache and has gone through so many missions and so much training in order to be who he is sees the, the fright and the, the terror of the day of the Lord and all he can do in his battle-hardened situation is cry. And you know how I love adverbs. If it just stopped and said he's going to weep, that's a grammatically correct sentence. But look at this adverb. He's going to weep bitterly. You ever cried till it hurt? Shake or not. And then cried because it hurt. 
You ever cried till you, 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 you just don't have anything left? And your tears are dry? And you still feel that way? Yeah. Then you've wept bitterly. Here is a man who is hardened by war and training only to see the day of the Lord come to, to cry to a point where he has nothing left. This one who should have everything ready to go to defend himself can't do anything against the terror of the day of the Lord. And it would be Zephaniah in chapter 1, verse 14, who says, It is near. For Israel, yes. In principle, for us, absolutely. Keep looking, verse number 15, as you look at that day of the Lord, that final day. That day is a day of wrath and trouble and distress, wasteness, desolation, darkness, gloominess, thick darkness. It's going to be awful. It's going to be terrible. There's not a shining light in this day for those who are staring down the barrel of that gun. They can't go into the wilderness and hide. He knows where they are. They can't go into their closets and hide. He knows where they are. They can't go other cities. He's going to know where they are. This day that is impending to, for them is going to be a day that is not going to be like any other day they have ever seen. You know, some days that we have that we would put into categories of not good days, we can find a silver lining here or there about those days to say, well, at least this or at least that you read through 15 and find where that silver lining is it's not there those men and women who are watching this day of the lord come at them have no recourse they can't go anywhere it's just an awful terrible day look at verse 16 day of a trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. To have a city fenced and to have a city with high towers 600 years before Jesus comes to this earth is a feat. Not everybody had that. Not every city had that. Not every village had that. And so these, had, these people have a, <coughs> excuse me, have a, a sense of protection. Oh, we have, we have a fence. We have a, a high tower. We can see that enemy coming from a great way off. Chances are they did and they could see that enemy from a great way off. But here's the secret. I can see a tornado from a great way off. It doesn't mean I can stop it. 
This day of the Lord that is coming, that is near, that God is going to pour out onto this nation His wrath. He said, your fences, your high towers, they're not going to stop it. Well, we can see it. Uh, Well, then you can just be afraid for a little while because it's coming. And you can't stop it even though you feel like you're protected. It's a false sense of security. Well, I th- we have fence, man. We have a wall. We're good to go. Okay. They have a false sense of security. They uh, have an awful day that's coming. You have men who ought to be trained and ready to, to uh, handle that situation, and they're not going to be able to. Look at verse 17. I will bring distress upon men so that they walk like blind men. Here's the purpose of all of these verses. Because they have sinned against the Lord. What did they do that was so terrible? We ask from our society. What did they do that was so wrong? Did they, did they just say there is no God? No, they wouldn't say that. Did they live like there was no God? Sure. But don't we? Maybe not us individually here in this room, but we as a society do. And I'll be real honest with you. I can't answer for everybody in this room. I can just answer for me. Do we live sometimes like we have the world by the tail and that this life will never end and and everything's going to be hunky-dory? Sometimes we take God, as we mentioned this morning, out of the perspective and take Him out of first and put Him any other place that He's not going to have and think He should be okay with that. The problem in verse 17 is that they have not surrendered themselves to God and because of that he's going to distress them to a point to where they walk and fight as blind men now try to imagine living in the day that Jesus would live having all of the modern conveniences that Jesus would have and try to imagine yourself being a, in the military there and storming a, a city only to find that all of the occupants were blind. You suppose you could win that battle? Seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? God says the sweeping judgment that's coming over this city is going to be seen and is going to be seen as... Uh, ungetoverable and is going to seem to be unfair. Please don't lose sight of this word as you read that. It's going to seem to be unfair. All the money that they have, verse 18, silver and gold, everything that they have is not going to be able to by their way out of the wrath of God. 
It's kind of a it's kind of a painful lesson to have to hear living in the richest country in the world, isn't it? How much money would you give to make sure your health is okay? The health of your spouse is okay or your children? How much money would you give to make sure the health of your your parents were okay? What if you had all of the money and you could put it up against God's day of wrath, would you? What if you could buy your way out of it? If you could buy your way out of it, would you try? Here he says, the gold, the, the silver that you guys look at and cherish so much and want to have so much of it is not going to mean a thing in eternity. Let me put this in, in the modern vernacular for Zephaniah. I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Everything that you've worked for against that day doesn't mean, as we would say back home, a hill of beans. It's kind of a depressing book, isn't it? It's kind of one of those books that after you read it, you just kind of go, hmm. Do me a favor, turn over a couple of chapters. Turn over to chapter 3, verse 13. Let's get a different perspective of that day. Are you ready? The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, Neither shall the deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. You see, when one man looks out over those walls and sees that impending day of the Lord, and is frightened by those things, and can't buy his way out, and has distrust and had has has sinned against the Lord there's another man who looks out those same walls sees that exact same thing coming for them only to say here comes the father how many of you heard growing up wait until your father gets home. Anybody hear that? So the day you heard that, what you didn't want to hear was the familiar hum of that car engine turning off. It would be a great and terrible day, wouldn't it? What if you heard before he went to work? Make sure the basketball is aired up when we get back. When I get back, as we're going to play a game of pickup basketball. Now, when you hear that engine turn off, 
You are just, if you like basketball like I do, you're just excited and ready to go. Same person, same vehicle. You're looking at it from two different perspectives. Here you have a group of people who are upset with this terrible day of the Lord because they know they're going to be punished. We live in a world full of people who are terrified of what happens after this life. Brethren, right there in your laps, you hold the key to that answer and you can tell them how to avoid the things they want to avoid. It's right there in your lap. And just a couple of chapters over, we see a group of people who can't wait to hear that engine turn off and have an opportunity to see their father. Because everything within that relationship is right. Which side of the fence are you on? Are you on the, I'm afraid to see him, or I can't wait to see him? The fact of the matter is, only you know the answer to that. Nobody else, aside from the one sitting in your skin, knows if you're ready or if you're not. But I'm going to take the chances and say there's somebody here who's not. So in order to help, I need to tell you that you can be. Doing what he says to do can make you ready to see him. Doing exactly what he says to do can make you ready to see him. It can take you from one category to the next. It can take you by hearing what he has to say and believing those things by repenting of your sin and confessing that Jesus is the Christ, by being immersed in water and raised to walk in a newness of life, by being added to the church for which Jesus died, by accessing the blood of the Savior through baptism, you can be ready to meet Him. Come here now, let me I'm going to tell you a secret. Are you ready? And that's the only way you're going to be ready. That's it. There is no other way. There is no second option. There is a requirement after baptism that we looked at this morning. It's not just about becoming a disciple. It's about staying a disciple. It is about keeping a promise to God who has promised you everything and all you have to give Him is your all. So, which side of the fence are you on? Are you ready to see him or not? If you're not, let me beg you to come home right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement.